everyone, welcome back to the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. I am your host, Vinny Rooster, along here with my co-host once again, Dr. Aaron Stansfield. Hello. We're shifting gears from all the conventional fitness narrative you hear on most fitness podcasts. As our main emphasis lies in preventative healthcare, adopting a holistic approach to nutrition, and challenging the traditional views on various fitness topics. Our mission with this podcast is to serve as your beacon, guiding you on a journey towards achieving optimal health. In today's podcast, we are going to be doing a Q&A. So we asked people in our private Facebook group, as well as on our Instagram stories, to ask us some questions that we can answer today. Um, so thank you, first and foremost, for those of you who participated. Uh, but just to let you guys know, if your question does not get answered in this episode, it is banked for a future Q&A episode. Um, but basically what we did with this is we had a bunch of questions come in. We decided to choose three of them uh, for, for each person. So the total of six questions and we'll go back and forth and we'll share each other's insights. But uh, we want the Q&A's to be a little bit more of a quicker episode. So that's why we are only choosing three each and not going over every single one. Um, so Dr. Stansfield, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? Okay, so the first question I chose was, uh, what is the best approach to maintaining results through the holidays? This is from Kevin Hatcher, and it was on my Instagram story. So the main thing that you want to do with having this approach through the holidays is keep your goals in mind. Make sure you plan ahead of time. Limit your alcohol. Um, try to go into it with the right perspective and always stay active. So in terms of perspective, you need to understand that we're not trying to lose weight here right? If that's your main goal, we're not trying to lose any more, but instead we're trying to maintain the results that we already have while mitigating any damage that can accrue um, over that time period by using things like mindfulness and self-control. And by control, I don't really mean um, full restriction. What I mean is control yourself from going overboard. Listen to your body and stop when you're actually full. Um, with mindfulness, just Always keep your goals in mind and make the best possible decision in that specific moment. Uh, because the key here is when, when you diet, the diet should never take away from the quality of life. And what I preach to our clients is that family and loved ones, um, they come first, the priority. So take that time and enjoy it with them because honestly, you don't really know how much longer you have uh, with those loved ones. Uh, with alcohol, don't drink like a 21-year-old and have it in moderation. If you're having people over for a week, let's just say you celebrate Christmas and you have your entire family coming in from a different state and they're there for a week, you have to drink every night with them. You don't have to eat um, the foods that they're eating. Keep your goals in mind. Tell people about your specific goals. And when you want to drink, do it with lower calorie drinks and um, be very mindful of the food that you're actually putting in your body because calories coming from alcohol are... Um, pretty much useless. So, um, and then the last thing is to stay active, uh, which is like, make sure you work out, especially like on the holiday, Thanksgiving, make sure you work out, um, walk everywhere, go outside after your meals, go for walks, walk with your family, walk with your friends. Um, if for Thanksgiving, for example, if, if football happens, so go outside and play catch, right? Just keep moving because if you stay active and you keep your goals in sight and you make the effort to be mindful, you can actually enjoy the holiday without guilt. Um, quick question. You mentioned um, alcohol. What low calorie alcohols would you recommend? Um, so any type of like clear liquor with a diet beverage, whether that be club soda, um, diet Coke, Coke Zero, Powerade Zero, uh, Gatorade Zero. 
that's a good route to go if you like beer go low calorie beer like uh bud 55 mgd 64 corona premier uh, michelob ultra miller light go with that um wine drinkers dry red is is where i would go with it um but that's just a little advice there all right cool all right so speaking of weight loss um julie elia actually from our facebook group asked a good question she was wondering about what is the shot used for diabetes that everyone is talking about and using for weight loss so um i am going to group these into one family of uh, medications as there are a few out there um they are glucagon like peptide one or glp1 receptor agonists um the most popular one that i've seen advertised is ozempic so um typically it Julie, you are correct in assuming that it is given to diabetics because most insurance companies won't approve the medication um, without meeting certain diagnostic criteria. And typically it's um, one of those is um, having uh, diabetes, typically type two. Um, but in general, um, there are other candidates as well for some of these weight loss medications, depending on what the medication is. Um, they look at your BMI. So anyone who has a BMI over 30 or anyone who has a BMI over 27 with other um, risk factors for um, long-term health issues, such as heart disease or a family history of diabetes. Um, the other thing they look at to approve this, if you're getting it paid through insurance, is if you haven't met your weight loss goals of at least 5% of total body weight in the last three to six months of trying lifestyle changes. So that includes exercising and dieting. Um, so you have to make a valiant effort to actually try to lose weight on, on your own or, or with the help of, of somebody um, before you, you actually qualify to get one of these medications through insurance. Um, so what is the medication? Basically, um, in simple terms, it reduces the amount of sugar or glucose released by your liver, and it can affect glucose control through several mechanisms. I think the most popular one that I hear people talking about is that they don't feel hungry and they don't want to eat as much. And that has to do a little bit because of the slowed gastric emptying. Um, so basically, it, it makes it a more efficient process. There's enhancement of the glucose-dependent insulin secretion, and um, there's reduction of postprandial glucagon. So um, it works through several um, methods, making um, uh, your glucose processing and insulin a little bit more efficient. Um, obviously, they've done randomized controlled studies, um, specifically on Ozempic. Um, those studies are called the STEP studies. Um, they have seen um, greater weight loss in people who are taking Ozempic, um, who are overweight and obese, compared to those who are taking placebo, who aren't um, who aren't on it, and that includes um, implementing lifestyle um, interventions, which is exercise and diet. Um, I think the word of caution is though, and I think what people wonder about is, well, if I get off this medication, am I going to gain? Um, weight back. And um, they did do a step four trial looking at specifically at Ozempic, um, where they gave um, people who were overweight or obese um, 20 weeks of initial therapy. Both groups got um, the initial therapy, um, but then one group continued on it and the other group went off of it. And both groups had lifestyle and um, interventions where they were working out and dieting. Um, and the people that were taken off 
and were given placebo seemed to gain um, some weight back, whereas the people that were kept on the medication actually continued to lose weight um, and, and, and did well for the most part. So um, the answer is, yes, you may gain some of that weight back. Um, they did still lose some weight and, and kept some of it off um, when they were taken off medication, um, but definitely not as much as if they were continued on the medication is what the study suggests. Yeah, I, I, so, I, feel, like, I feel like that's really important to just note, like just they, like the lifestyle was carried throughout those 48 weeks, right? And some people, even though they gained some weight back, they still kept some of it off. Um, and I think that has to do with the lifestyle. So the lifestyle of including your diet, um, your activity, things like that, I think that plays a really big part here. Because uh, if you have a problem with overeating, which is why you are on Ozempic, uh, you might be lacking some foundational habits there, right? So if you take it and you suppress your appetite and then you come off and you go back to your normal habits, you're going to gain the weight right back. So I think it's very important to have some foundational habits um, of living a, a specific type of lifestyle in terms of being conscious of your, your health and uh, wellness. I think that needs to be taken into account and it should be priority here. Yeah. I mean, um, so my, my field is prevention, right? And so besides weight loss, there's so many more health benefits to working out and following a good diet. Um, so it's not just about, you know, your appearance. Um, I think that's important um, as well, especially as you, as you age. So I don't think it's a knock on lifestyle. I think um, we should look at it as, um, wow, it's nice to have these medications available because of modern medicine that could potentially um, help us and, and especially help the people that are really struggling um, who might have disease processes where they've tried all the lifestyle stuff um, but are still running into issues. So yeah. I, I don't think um, that should be... Um, uh, you know, the lifestyle should go by the wayside at all. Yeah, with, without a doubt. But like right now, like even like when you scroll on social media, you might see these HRT clinics or, or these other ads for like semaglutide, right? Yeah. Like, but they're like at a fraction of the cost. Like I know Ozempic, the legit stuff is pretty damn expensive. Um, yeah. I think he said $1,400 a month or something like that. Um, yeah. So yeah. what's the deal? Like, how are these um, HRT clinics or how are these ads like coming out and, and putting out like, putting it out at a fraction of the cost? Um, so a lot of it is fake Ozempic, essentially, right? Um, so there's, uh, you know, the FDA has come out and, and said, be cautious about getting fake um, medication from um, a lot of these pharmacies, especially the ones that aren't FDA approved. Um, the European um, Medicines Agency came out and, and actually warned that people were getting poisoned um, by fake um quote unquote Ozempic. Um, and what they're finding is that a lot of um, these places or these pharmacies that are selling this stuff are actually selling in insulin. And that's actually putting people at risk. Um, could, you know, it could risk death in, in some cases. So uh, you have to be very careful about where you're getting the, medica the medication in general. And like, if, if it's the actual medication or not, I would specifically point to compounding pharmacies. Um, they are notorious for um, you know, maybe not giving you the real medication um, that might be FDA approved. So I just be very, very careful about how you're obtaining um, what you think might be Ozempic um, if it's not through um, the normal channels of, of pharmacies. 
Yeah, that's um, that's insane. Throwing insulin in there. I mean, it reminds me of that Netflix, uh, The Good Nurse, or something, where he was injecting insulin into the IV pads and slowly killing people. Um, that's yeah. just for uh, an extra buck. They're throwing in insulin in there. That's that's insane. Yeah, yeah. So just be careful. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I have for that okay. question. Um, let's go to my next question then. Uh, so this was also you just mentioned Julie Elliott. Um, she also asked another question that I thought was very relevant because I had a few clients over the last two weeks kind of voice this to me and ask for my my opinion. So I feel like uh, maybe a bunch of people are going through it now, maybe because it's the holidays, I'm not sure, or the holiday season. So she asked, do you have any suggestions for people who are uh, engaged in a healthy lifestyle but have friends or spouses who don't actually support the choice? Like, how do you actually handle this? So the way that I'm looking at it is that they're either with you or they're not. Like. If they're your loved ones or if they're your friends, how could they not support you wanting to live a healthier life? Like it's for you. It's for them. They're not doing it. You're the one going through, you know, the some restriction. I call it investments in our future self. Um, and that shouldn't matter to them because what you do with your life shouldn't affect the way they feel about theirs. But but that's the issue is that when it comes to friends or relatives, when they act that way, there's really like an, an unconscious jealousy that that comes out of them. Um, so the best thing to do would just be real with them and tell them straight up, be like, yo, either you support me and you ride with me or just get the hell out of my way because your true friends will be like, oh, wow. Like, I'm so sorry. Like I was just busting your balls. Like I, of course I'm here for you. And the other people, um, who are not your true friends, uh, will probably take offense to that and probably leave you alone, but you don't need that in your life. Anyway, you want the people around you to support you. Um, as for spouses, I mean, I think you, you, you all should be in it through the thick and the thin. And should, they should support you in whatever you choose, you feel like you need to do and want to do, um, as long as it's not hurting your health. Um, but the best thing is, once again, voice it, like ask them, like, why are you against me from feeling better about myself? Why are you against me from getting healthier, not only for me, but for you and for my and for our kids? Um, why are you against me um, looking better? Why are you against me increasing my vitality and, and energy, which could actually lead to more sex? Like this is a conversation that needs to be had uh, because when you voice it to them, number one, they might not know that they're even doing it, right? They might just be like, they might be taken back. Like, wow, I didn't know I was coming off that way. I apologize, here's your support. Uh, because honestly, it's hard enough as it is to do this by yourself. You don't need your loved one to actually, you know, be against you here and be your enemy. You need them to be a support system. Yeah. I think um, so you could look at this situation as an opportunity as well to practice self-discipline. Um, you know, I read early on when I started uh, competing that self-discipline is like a is like a workout, like you have to practice to get good at it and putting yourself in these situations and explaining to the people that are important to you um, why you're doing something and um it, you know, is practice in, in that self-discipline. And I think you'll just get better over time. Yeah, I love that because like you said, discipline is like a muscle. So the more you actually train it, the stronger it gets, just like a muscle does. Um, so by putting yourself in these situations, going out when you're on a diet and a straight, let's just say you're on a strict diet, over time you build up a resilience to that stuff. And that's the discipline. A lot of people like to call it willpower. It's not willpower. Willpower will be depleted. It'll run out on you. It'll rejuvenate. It's like a, a renewable resource that gets depleted over time. Um but with self-discipline, it's actually a skill set and you can strengthen it the more you subject yourself to stuff and the more you refrain. Um, so I think that was an awesome point there. Yeah. All right. So 
Um, totally, completely different topic. Um, Mike Fuchs from our Facebook group asked about sleep apnea, and in particular, um, if it would have um, or interfere with any weight loss. Um, so I feel like a lot of people don't actually know what sleep sleep apnea is. We associate it um, in general with people who snore at night. Um, I think the people that are actually diagnosed kind of understand it and maybe their families around them. But so I'm just going to briefly um, define what it is and then we'll kind of go into if it affects weight loss. So um, obstructive sleep apnea is just basically caused by um, complete or partial collapse of the upper airway um, during sleep. So you actually have um, times during sleep where you might stop breathing. Um, and it's pretty prevalent, 5 to 15%. There's different risk factors, one of them being obesity, actually, which is one of the most modifiable things that you could do is actually lose weight. In some cases, um, it has to, also has to do with craniofacial anatomy and upper airway abnormalities. So, it, you know, there are different risks for it. Um, but, you know, while the partner who sleeps with the person may complain of snoring or gasping or um, you know, interruptive uh, breathing patterns, the, the person who's affected usually complains of daytime sleepiness. So they just feel that they don't get good quality sleep. And um, that leads into the next um, portion of why, um, why this would affect weight loss, right? So we do know that um, weight loss is affected or, or um, body weight maintenance and composition is affected by sleep quality, right? And quantity. So, um, you know, so the short answer is if, if you leave this untreated and you have interruptive sleep or poor quality sleep, it may affect um, your weight loss goals or your body composition goals in general. Um, and there are studies that point to that. Um, you know, obviously there's uh, randomized control studies on um, sleep quality and as it relates to weight loss and people um, in general, like in one study, they looked at women um, who were getting good quality sleep um, and also sleeping more than seven hours of night. And um, their likelihood of weight loss uh, success was uh, 33% as compared to um, women who uh, did not get as good quality sleep and slept less than seven hours a night. So that, you know, we do see um, that they are related. Um, seven, and they've seven also, hours of quality sleep, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. So um, they've actually looked at sleep apnea, usually in older people, as it relates to um, uh, body composition in particular, they were looking at um, people who um, could potentially be affected by sarcopenia, which is loss of uh, muscle mass, uh, in particular as we age. Um, and if you just think about this from a logical perspective, um, inhibiting anabolic hormone cascades will interfere with body composition and muscle retention. Um, so again, when they looked um, at this particular issue, they saw that reductions in duration and quality of sleep um, did modify body composition and it actually increased the risk of insulin resistance. So I think um, the short answer, Mike, is yes. If left untreated and you get poor quality sleep, it will affect your body composition goals, whether that be weight loss or muscle retention or even muscle building. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, medically speaking, I just like to make a plug for, yes, you should get treated because there are some cardiovascular risks that I don't think people um, 
may may not be aware of for example you get pulmonary hypertension if you leave um, this uh, condition untreated and it can lead to cardiovascular problems down the line so I think it's very important to actually go into your doc if you suspect that you have this get tested um, and and, um, and there are different treatment modalities um, for it as well yeah and and especially like you said um, earlier um, daytime drowsiness if you're driving um, and and you're doing this that could lead to an accident I know I, I've heard when I was younger um, not sure how valid this is maybe it depends on the drunkness but driving tired is worse than driving drunk um, which yeah I mean you if you got sleep apnea you, you put yourself at risk for that well, it's one of the reasons that commercial drivers have to be actually screened for sleep apnea. And if they do have it, they have to be treated in order to get their commercial driver's license because um, it can cause um, accidents, right? And that puts other people, not only yourself, but other people on the road at danger um, if, you, if you do fall asleep um, while you're driving. So that's the more acute and immediate um, risk um, if that you forego if you don't get this uh, treated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so Mike, hopefully that answered your question. Uh, my last one, I had a few that I wanted to choose and I didn't know which one to pick. So I just did like a random pick and it happened to land on Julian's question, which was in our Facebook group. Um, and he said, can you please touch on overtraining and, uh, the proper use of cardio? So in regards to how this question is phrased, I'm simply going to say that like in order to progress, you need to recover and heal plain and simple. So doing more is not better. Maybe less is actually more in this case and it's it's like trying to use your hand when there's a massive wound on the palm if you continue to use that hand uh, the wound's going to take longer and longer to heal because you keep reopening and you're not allowing it to heal so the same thing goes with your muscles like you need to let them recover in order to grow uh get stronger and actually build upon itself um so in terms of working out less technically isn't more but more is not better like there's a bell curve here um, and you want to find the, that intermediate, that, that middle part, the highest peak of the bell curve that works specifically for you. Um, with cardio, and whoever's listening to me knows how I feel about cardio and that it's a tool, not a necessity. Um, the amount of cardio should always be the minimal effective dose, which is really the least amount of work you could do while still seeing results, because this is going to have to increase over time as your body adapts to that type of stress. Um, so you want to start it off small, get results from that and slowly titrate up. Um, cardio does have uh, its place with cardiovascular health. Um, that's why all of our clients have some form of it in there, uh, which will titrate over time. But um, I like to use it mainly to increase increase caloric expenditure because if I don't want to pull food, but we need to create a further deficit, I could add more movement in, whether that be more time to your power walks, whether that be uh, more steps per day, or in the actual cardio movement, adding more time or intensity to, to it in that sense. Um, well, I love cardio, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't have a problem you'd be with easy. that. It'd be easy. <laughs> Keep your food really high. That's all. Yeah. All right. Um, I will go to my next question, which is my last question. I thought it was a, the more interesting question. We'd probably do an entire podcast on this. Um, but the last one came from Sandy P. She wanted to know about the biggest myths associated with menopause. And I guess I'm, I'm going to go off on my pet peeve um, where... Uh, people tend to blame hormones and not just particularly menopause, but they tend to blame hormones for weight loss issues. Um, and I think it's a, you know, an easy scapegoat for, for a lot of people. And specifically, you know, 
in menopause, um, I feel like, uh, you know, sometimes that, you know, the hormones are blamed. Um, so I want to emphasize that, yes, there are obviously hormone changes um, when you hit menopause. In particular, estrogen tends to fall off, right? Um, so I think the more the most important question to ask yourself when you're thinking about this is how much does that fall in estrogen actually contribute to weight or weight gain? Um, in 2005, there was a Cochrane review which found that the drop-off of estradiol, for example, um, had no effect on women's weight. Um, and I think just from a, an observational standpoint, I find it interesting that um, women who have early ovarian failure, so essentially they're going into menopause earlier than normal, so they have plummeting um, hormone levels as well, um, they don't seem to be um, associated with gaining weight either. So, um, so there's that observation. Um, the Women's Health Initiative found that women may experience the body composition changes, um, but the, the actual weight gain attributed to menopause was pretty low, like pretty modest. So it was maybe two to four pounds. Um, but that being said, I'm not saying that it does not play a role because hormones do play a role, obviously, in our uh, metabolic and physiologic process. But I think um, it's very simplistic to say, oh, this is the reason for my weight gain um, hormones. Uh, I think it gets way more complicated than that. There's other factors, including age, um, the hormone function as it relates to like brown adipose tissue, which there's research going on now. Um, so I think that the advice should be that you should change the most modifiable thing that you can, which is your lifestyle and in particular your activity level and obviously watching your diet. Um, so I think that you should continue to be active if you're not. Um, I would add in resistance training, um, a definite plug for that. Um, just in general, as estrogen levels drop, um, you know, bone density um, also is affected. And so the more resistance training you can do, um, the more you're going to keep that bone density. Um, and that is a risk factor as you um, grow older for osteoporosis. So um, very, very important things to do and to keep doing um, if you are doing them. Yeah, I definitely agree with that 100%. And like, like Dr. Aaron said, it's, listen, hormones do play a role, but don't just blame the hormones. Yes, they are affecting things. We, we understand that. But there's other things that we could actually take care of in our life, like our diet, our um, activity in terms of movement, as well as adding in that resistance training with that drop of estrogen, trying to preserve our bone density, um, because the weight training actually does that for you. Um, so I think that's really key here is understand that, yeah, your hormones are playing an effect, but it's not the end all be all. And it's not the only answer. There's other things that we could change that we could actually do ourselves to help mitigate how much of an effect going through menopause is actually going to have on your body composition. Absolutely. Um, and one final plug is um, with hormone replacement therapy. If you are a candidate and you have symptoms and you are under the age of 60, I think it's a fair consideration, um, especially if you don't have any contraindications, um, such as a history of breast cancer or family history of breast cancer or coronary heart disease. 
Um, this fell off back in the early 2000s because of the Women's Health Initiative. Um, they did have some adverse events with cardiovascular issues, um, giving hormone replacement therapy. So I think there was some fear around prescribing it, but we're seeing more and more um, people that are who are under 60 actually benefit um, from hormone replacement therapy. So just uh, you know, a, a quick conversation with uh, whoever your OBGYN is or your endocrinologist to see if you're a candidate, if you are symptomatic. Yeah, awesome. That was great. Um, that was fun. So we did some Q&A. We got through them pretty quickly, three each. Um, they, once again, if your question did not get answered, uh, don't fret. We, uh, we, we have them in our Q&A bank to, to be used at a later episode. Um, but I just want to say that on behalf of Balanced Bodies, Thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Legion Athletics, um, because they have science-backed supplements. So um, if you want to try those out, use code RUSSO, R-U-S-S-O, and you get 20% off your first order. Um, but as you know, myself and Dr. Aaron, we're, we're very committed to trying to bring you valuable content. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd greatly appreciate it if you just took a moment and liked it or left a five-star review. Um, and if you actually believe in the power of knowledge, then I want you to help others discover the insights that we share by sharing this podcast on all your social media platforms, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your coworkers that you don't even like. Um, just get the word out there. And um, as you navigate on your own path towards better health, just remember that Balanced Bodies is forever in your corner, and we will see you all next week. The podcast content may include discussions of medical topics and health-related information. However, the information provided should not be considered exhaustive or complete, and it should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment.